This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. If you could turn to Mark 11, please. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, the beginning of the week that leads up to Easter, and we're going to read a couple of passages, one from Mark 11, one from Mark 14, and then we're going to come around the the Lord's table together. Lord, we want to thank you for the wonderful privilege of worshipping you. We pray that you will minister now to our souls and our spirits and our bodies, Lord, as we read the scriptures, as we come to the, this communion table together. <clears throat> we thank you the King of Kings is here. The expression of God's love is here amongst us. We say thank you, Lord. Amen. Mark 11, reading from the Holman. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a young donkey outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the donkey? And they answered them, just as Jesus had said. So they let them go. And then they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their robes on it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their robes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. And after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Over the next couple of chapters are descriptions of teaching and um, uh, some miracles and explanation of aspects of the end times, the last days. And then we come to chapter 14. And we'll read from verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so you may eat it? He sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, 
the teacher says, where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. That's twice. He's a good track record, isn't he? And they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, the one who's dipping bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man will go just as it's written about him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he'd not been born. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many. I assure you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in the kingdom of God. And after singing psalms, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When we read um, Paul's description, which we'll do in a moment, he, which he says he received from the Lord, and which he wrote actually before Mark wrote his account of this, Paul tells us that Jesus also said they were to do this in remembrance of him. And it's a, it's a wonderful thought, isn't it, that since Jesus said that, that has happened for thousands of years, hundreds of years, every week, every city, all over the world. People do this in remembrance of him. And it's great that we can also participate this morning. I was with um, the Covenant College students this week. We had a great time with them and we were looking at the, uh, the Covenant meal together. And you know, There's a general context for this, which is that Jewish meals were really significant. Um, They were expressions of of friendship and unity. They were um, times when covenants were made. And when they were eaten and a covenant was made, they knew they were eating in the presence of God. When we read in the Gospels of Jesus' ministry, his, his ministry on earth, we find frequently he ate meals with people. And often in doing so, he, he ate with sinners and he expressed God's heart and God's love for them, God's forgiveness towards people. And so there's this general context for what Jesus did on this event and what he instituted for us to do in remembrance of him. But then there's something very specific, isn't there, which was the Passover meal. And uh, we won't read it now, but back in Exodus, uh, there are detailed instructions of what the Israelites were to do 
on that day that God led them in their exodus out of Egypt. The family head was to take a lamb that would be big enough for the whole family to eat. And then a few days later, um, in the, that lamb at twilight in the evening was to be slaughtered. And the blood of the lamb was to be painted on the doorposts. You know the story. And then that evening, as the, as the next day officially began that evening, the family would eat a, a meal of roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. And that was the Passover meal that they, they celebrated every year from then onwards until uh, as, the, as the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you'll note in our story that's exactly the context for this. By the time of Jesus eating this meal with his disciples, it had evolved. There'd been different instructions through the Old Testament. And as, as far as you can tell from the historical records and from what we read here, the meal would have gone something like this. And I just want to share some detail this morning because it will help us greatly when we see some parallels. First of all, uh, the meal would have began with a thanksgiving and the family head would, um, would give a, a prayer of thanksgiving and the first cup would be drank, the, the cup of consecration. And then they'd eat a dish of herbs and fruit puree. Then the second thing that would happen was uh, normally the oldest son in the family would ask the, the father or the family head, he'd say, what does all this mean, father? And the, the head of the home would recite the Passover story. And he'd tell the family, uh, and, he'd, and, he'd, and, and they would read from Deuteronomy, what we call Deuteronomy 26. And then they'd sing Psalms 113 and 114 together and drink the second cup which they called the cup of proclamation. And then there'd be the blessing and the breaking of the unleavened bread and the main meal of the roast lamb and the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. And then they'd drink a third cup, which they called the cup of blessing. And then finally, they'd sing Psalms 115 to 118. Did you notice at the end of the story, it says after singing Psalms, you might have a little footnote that says Psalms 113 to 118 were sung during and after the Passover meal. And that's what, that was what they did. And so the whole meal was rich in symbolism. And it was important that everybody in the family was reminded of the meaning of the meal. Why they were doing it. And in a sense, they all, they all had a part in it. It was like they were acting out the sermon, the story of Passover. The unleavened bread represented the haste with which they left Egypt. You know, they were to eat with their cloaks tucked into their belt, with the staff in their hand, ready to go. And the unleavened bread was a sort of a symbol of that. The bitter herbs were to remind them of their slavery in Egypt and their weeping, their bitter weeping. The fruit puree was to remind them of, of the clay they used to make the bricks they had to make in Egypt. Everything had significance and meaning. The four cups that they drank, first cup, second cup, third cup, fourth cup, were to remind them of God's promises to them, God's repeated promises. And so they relived the whole of this Passover event. And that's the context for this last supper of Jesus. Jesus took great care to be able to eat privately with the twelve this 
this um, arrangement, this, this foresight, whatever exactly was happening as Jesus told them to prepare the room for them. And in that context, have a look again at verse 18 in Mark 14. He says, I tell you, I assure you, one of you will betray me. This is an, this dramatic, immediate context of this meal. One of them is going to betray him. And it will be somebody who's eating with him. Somebody who's dipping his bread into the same, somebody who's sharing the cup with him. This most intimate expression of loyalty together. And somebody's going to betray him. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But Jesus takes aspects of the meal and, as it were, he reinterprets the whole of the meal to take on a special meaning for them. He says the bread is his body, the, the wine is his blood, and this is the making. It's shed as a, um, it establishes a new covenant with them. And we're familiar with all those things, but let me just take a couple of the phrases that Jesus used and, and, and refer to them. Do you notice it says in verse 22, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. These four words, which become so significant, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. When you read back at the, the feeding of the multitudes, that's exactly what happens. Jesus takes the bread, blesses the bread or gives thanks for the bread, breaks the bread and gives the bread to them. Does it with the 5,000, does it with the 4,000. And at that time, you realize, uh, when, you, when you get to this point in the story, you realize all of that, apart, amongst other things, was to point to this Last Supper. Then he says, this is my body. This is my blood. You don't need me to tell you that um, that's been a, a source of confusion for people ever since then. Some people have taken a, a very literal interpretation of that to believe that Jesus, uh, when, when we do this in remembrance of him and when the priest prays a, a certain prayer of consecration over the bread, over the, over the wine, over the cup, that it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus transubstantiation. Others have said, well, it's not literally his body, but, but you know, he is bodily there with them. Others have said, no, he, he, it's just purely symbolic. This is a memorial. It signifies his presence, but, it, but he's not bodily really present with us. Others have said he, he is really present, but it's spiritual, not bodily, and, and everything in between probably as well. I want to put it to you today. He's very present with us. I don't believe the bread and the wine becomes his body and blood. Of, you'd be shocked if I said that. However, it's more than just spiritual. He's present with us. And that's a wonderful thing because Jesus, God, God is omnipresent. He's present all the time. But then you know, Jesus also said, where two or three or a few hundred gather, I'm with you. 
There's another dimension of his presence when we gather. And then as spirit-filled believers, we know he, he indwells. There's an indwelling presence. Another dimension of his presence. There's, there's kind of a fourth dimension of his presence when we come around the table. He is omnipresent. He's present because we've gathered. He's present because he dwells in us. When we come around the table this morning, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. I, I, I want to say more as why I believe that in a moment, but um, I just want to put it to you to think big about God's presence this morning. Then he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that word means to, to call him to mind with affection. It's not like a memorial to Jesus. The meal for the early church, which we'll, we'll come to in just a second, was a very much a celebration that, that the God of the past, the present, and the future was with them. And they brought him to mind with great affection. The Amplified Version uses that phrase to, to bring him to call Call me affectionately to your remembrance. I trust we will do that today. Call him affectionately to our remembrance. In the early church then we, we find, um, well there's a lovely moment in, in, at the end of Luke's gospel after Jesus' resurrection. Luke 24, and you know the story where Jesus walks with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they, um, when they look back on it, they say, you know, our hearts were really stirred within us as he, as he opened the scriptures to us. And um, is that where it says, using all the scriptures he spoke of himself? Yeah. That would have been a great Bible study, wouldn't it? All the scriptures, Jesus explaining about himself. But um, they're not really sure. They have, they have an inkling. But then you get to verse 30 and it says, it was as he, Luke 24, 30, it was as he reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> what a tease. <laughs> I know that when we come around the table this morning, our eyes can be opened. Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. Let's let him do that today. The early church um, embraced the Lord's Supper with great gusto. In fact, Acts chapter 2, it describes a few things that they were devoted to. The word Luke uses is to be in to be very persistent in their adherence to something. The apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. They, they were devoted to this covenant meal. Have a, have a turn with me up into Acts 20 because about 25 years later, after the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a great story of a preacher that went on and on and on. It's none, of you. it's none of the elders. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, 
And since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. That's a nice way of putting it, actually, isn't it? I think the New Living does say he, he went on and on, but um, talked on and on until midnight. He extended his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembling. Luke is with them. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul, here we go, as Paul kept on speaking. It's the oil from the lamps and the, the haze and the heat and the upstairs room and Paul is keeping on speaking. And when he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, threw himself on him, embraced him and said, don't be alarmed for his life, for his life is in him. And after going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, he conversed a considerable time until dawn. And then he left. And then they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. If that doesn't tell you Jesus is really present around the table... And then we get into 1 Corinthians, and, and first of all, just have a quick look in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul makes this um, powerful statement, verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing or a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words, what he's saying is, if your allegiance is to the Lord, it's exclusive. It's all or nothing. If our allegiance is to the Lord this morning, we can't have allegiances to any other God, any other idol, any other teaching with the Lord's. 1 Corinthians 11, we won't read the whole thing because we, I guess we're familiar with, um, with the passage there. We do read it frequently. But it's, it's a terrible indictment. Paul says... He begins in verse 17, he says, your, your gatherings do more harm than good because there are divisions and differences amongst them. So he says, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. You may call it that, but it's not that. If you meet to eat together and there are divisions and differences and factions and schisms, I tell you what, says Paul, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. And then he goes back to the beginning and and he reminds them of what happened in the upper room. He says, it was on the night Jesus was betrayed. It's like he can't, bring a, he can't bring a starker contrast. There's all this, uh, all these factions, 
He goes on to say, that basically, the, the rich are eating before the poor arrive. They're exposing their social differences. They should be one, and yet the poor are being humiliated because uh, some are overeating and there's none left for the others. He says, it's a, it's a, it's a travesty. It's not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper took place in that horrible context of Jesus about to be betrayed. And here you are having a, having a, having a dinner party in Corinth, which isn't really the Lord's Supper. They did, by the way, just to make this plain, they used to frequently eat the covenant meal in the context of a bigger meal together. And it's our big church lunch today. So what a great context for us to have this meal together today. And then he goes on to say, you know, because of these things, and this is, um, it's hard hitting. He says, um, where are we in verse? Verse 27, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man should examine himself in this way, he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, of, of the Lord's body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home so you can come together and not cause judgment. Again, if I could just say this, if misappropriation has those kinds of negative effects, how present is he? And how wonderful the blessings when we come together in the right way. So this morning, we come together. You see, their problem was they'd not really understood who they were. It's great. Just have a good look around the room this morning. We're a nice full room this morning. Have a good look around. Adam is waving at his family, friends across the other side of the room. Have a good look around. It's so important we recognize who we are. We're the body of Christ. And all our differences have been leveled out, eliminated. We've all come in the same way. Repentance, baptism, filled with the Spirit. There are no differences. There is neither rich nor poor, Jew or Gentile, or any ethnicity. We're all one in Christ. That was the problem in Corinth divisions that they were highlighting when Jesus died to make them one. We appreciate his presence this morning. Maybe not bodily, but very real, very powerful. We participate with Christ this morning. You know, when he says, remember me, there's something in remembering which is remembering. We can come and, and participate with Christ and with one another this morning. We are remembering ourselves. Not that we've fallen away, but we, we, we are restating our membership with Christ. We're remembering with one another. 
we're re-emphasizing our membership together, our belonging to one another. And, and just before we do it, we're going to welcome in some new members this morning, which is going to be fantastic. And we participate in this fantastic acted sermon this morning as we reenact what Jesus did on that day. You know, Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave the bread. It was to be that action was to be fulfilled in what happened to him himself. The Father took him, blessed him, broke him on the cross, and gave him to us. But then I believe there's another aspect of that today. The Lord wants to take us. He has taken us. He has blessed us. He wants to break us in the sense that the cross is applied in our lives because he wants to give us to the world. And as we come around the table, that's what we're going to be celebrating this morning. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.